Welcome, all you fellow arcanists out there, to the Frith Guild podcast, where we explore an amazing world full of mystical creatures and their partners. Our hosts are Eric Smith and Scott Wareham, and they'll be your guides along this journey through pirate-infested waters. So grab your Eldrin, strap on your swords, and get ready to defend the seas from evil. Throughout the series, if you've not caught up to the chapters being discussed today, we urge you to hit the pause button, grab your copy of this wonderful book, and catch up. We'll be here when you get back. While Adelgis, Addy, and Hexa search the occult compass, Volk, Ilya, and Zaxus sneak aboard the Third Abyss to rescue Master Zelfry. But before they can find their dying mentor, they instead find a plague-ridden gargoyle. And unlike any plague beast they have yet encountered, this creature is intelligent and the size of an elephant. Oh, and it can read minds too. But before we get into the book, let's look at two more pieces of advice from the series. Step 7 on the Pillar of Ruma says adaptability, without it we break it to the slightest change. As Step 88 says bravery, without it we cannot act in the face of fear. So without further ado, let's join Eric and Scott for chapters 26 through 30 of Dread Pirate Arcanist. Hello and welcome back to the Frith Hill Podcast. I'm your host Eric. And I'm Scott. And today we'll be getting to chapters 26 through 30 of the Dread Pirate Arcanist. Before we get going into those, we just also want to remind you and, and ask you, please, please, when you get done listening to this episode, whether you're listening to a podcast or on YouTube, to either review or like or share, subscribe, all that good stuff. I know like you always hear that on YouTube channels, but it really does help us know that we're moving in the right direction. And if you enjoy parts of the show or, you know, please give us a comment or go on Facebook, send us a message or comment on the facebook page we're gonna get into it today in chapter 26 the bone cage so recapping from from last episode the the group is going to rescue zelfry and they hear this voice calling them from inside a room to come enter and they enter it and they find this bone cage with a plague-ridden gargoyle and this gargoyle is described as being the size of an elephant so absolutely massive no eyelids, its skin is stretched taut over its body, and the cage is actually a leviathan bone cage, which prevents the gargoyle from being able to mold it. The gargoyle has a power where it can mold stone, so the bone just prevents it from using its magic to get out. And we see that the blood is actually being drained out, and this is where they would get the plague poison from that was used to infect a griffin and you know, probably used to infect several other magical creatures across. The gargoyle is able to read thoughts, which is not something a gargoyle would normally be able to do, and it actually describes itself as being in its true form or enlightened. And as the, the gargoyle is talking to each one of them individually, kind of like the like the White Heart in the Endless Mire back on Ruma, it, it starts talking to everybody, and it moves to Ilya, and it calls Ilya Savan, and then it's like, well, wait a minute, you're not, or should I call you Ilya Delamere, which is her actual last name. And I think this is the first time that we find out what her actual last name is. So very, very powerful and magically magical creature. And next to the magical creature, there's a second cage, and this cage is empty. And the gargoyle actually explains that this cage is for the world serpent. So we know that Callisto got the scale and he wasn't just planning on imbuing it and making it into an artifact. 
he was actually going to use it to try and find the world serpent. And the gargoyle goes to attack Volk, but Trace is, is able to transform into a nightmare and swing a sword and, and save Volk from being attacked. And Volk actually notices that when Trace is transformed into a nightmare, her armor wasn't cracked the way that Luther's is. So even though she was mimicking Luther, she did have a slightly different appearance and slightly different makeup than he did. And I've always been wondering, because anytime that Luther has been described, he's specifically described as being cracked. Uh, so my curiosity got the better of me, and I actually reached out to Shami, and I asked her if, if that was something that was, you know, per Luther, or if that was something that kind of similar with other nightmares, because... Uh, we, we know that not all nightmares look the same. And she did say that Luther actually became cracked after Mathis was killed. And that's kind of like his physical representation of his grief for Mathis. Which is pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. Gargoyle then offers to trade information for them to release it. And he says that he will tell Volk where Zelfri is. And ends up telling them and then saying that Volk needs to free him and Volk kind of fights back by saying I never actually agreed to do this I don't really feel comfortable letting a plague-ridden creature out and although it angers the gargoyle quite a bit they got the information they needed so they decide that they're gonna walk on out and go find Zelfred. I mean in all fairness that was probably a good idea of not letting the plague-ridden true form gargoyle loose. Yes, the this, this size of an elephant does not need to be rampaging around next to everyone who is able to be infected. And as they're leaving to go find Zelfri, Volk is concerned about how they're supposed to get across these spaces, and Luther eventually ends up giving him this advice of, well, if you're confident, people are just going to believe you're supposed to be there. So Zaxxus goes first, and it works flawlessly, and nobody seems to notice or care that he's not really supposed to be there. And again, this is where we see, like, Volk struggling with his confidence and his abilities. And Volk has to also remember that others cannot see Volk or pretty much anybody else in the dark. Or at least we assume this. And imagine, like, how far away they are. And I think it's raining at this point. Like, nobody cares about what's going on in the rest of the ship. I know we see, like, a couple of deckhands working. But they're, they're trying to get their job done so they can go inside where it's dry. Yeah, there's not, they're not out looking for somebody to be sneaking around the ship. Right. And the group ends up making their way to the captain's office, and they see a giant green scale from the World Serpent. It's several feet long, absolutely massive. And that brings us into Chapter 27, which is the World Serpent scale. And they also see in the office, Zelfri is in the corner, and he's been pierced with this ebony arrow in him that's preventing him from healing. So he's been severely tortured. His tendons are cut. His dragon tattoo has essentially been flayed off of him. And what's referred to as this obsidian thorn arrow is actually barbed with manicore venom. So this is another instance of Callisto using that venom, preventing Zelfri from healing himself or having any of his magical powers. And Volk does the smart thing. He actually takes the Phoenix bracelet that he got from Gilly, which prevents sickness and, and promotes good health. Uh, he gives it to Zelfri to try and help heal him some. Zaxxus goes in and is able to remove the arrow and heal him a little bit, but there's only so much that he can do. 
Again, this is where we see like the distance with Eldrin versus the Arcanus. Axis being further away from Forsyth makes it a lot more difficult and for him to be able to heal. And this is another place where we see that Luther actually like takes off his cape and offers it to Zelfry. Like it, that, this doesn't happen very often. I don't remember too many other times that Luther takes his cape off to help somebody. So it's kind of this is a big deal. It is that cape is his his big icon essentially. <laughs> and Ilya mentions that she wants to steal the scale. Uh, mainly to piss off Callisto. And they kind of talk through it and they realize it's massive. It's way too obvious Callisto would notice right away. They don't want to draw any extra attention to them. Their main point is getting Zelfry out alive. Like, okay, Ilya, you, you, you've done enough, okay? You've stolen enough things. Leave it be. <laughs> if you guys are going to get the, the, the compass, then you don't need to worry about the scale. We also see when Volk is trying to kind of help move Zelfry. Uh, Zaxxus is trying to heal him. Zelfry accidentally calls Zaxxus Traven. And I think, again, this isn't like... Zaxxus really has no idea what's going on. He's just kind of like, yo, this dude's so messed up. He just called me Traven. Like, I don't even know why he did that. And knowing the conversation that Zelfry and Volk had previously about uh, Traven... But it gives you that, like, oh, man, he, he really sees Axis as Draven. As as this moment's going on, Spider, who is the, the Cav Arcanist, ends up walking by. And they think they're going to be okay because it's dark, but she can actually see them. And this is partially due to the Kappa magic, which allows her to see through the fog and see through darkness. And she uses her other power... <laughs> to determine what Volk's age is by smelling him and notices that there's an age difference with Luther <laughs> and essentially is able to figure out that he's second bonded. So I I never thought this ability would actually come into play, but she does use it. I don't know if it's effective <laughs> or not, but she does use it. <laughs> I just love how far-fetched that, that ability is and, you know, dang it. It, it got worked in somewhere. Volk and Luther end up merging together to get into this fight with, with Spider. So this totally just reminded me, um, you had a Nintendo 64, have you ever played Ocarina of Time? Yes. This this totally reminds me of them being the Gerudo Fortress, finding the Carpenters. Yes. You know, yes. They, they find them, and then as soon as they find them, obviously like the boss comes out of nowhere. Yes, and it leads to to this huge fight and it's it's a great comparison and it's also a comparison because Volk is so outmatched. It's it is not a fair fight. Um <laughs> Spider is better trained, she's better with her powers, she spits acid at him. And as we move into chapter twenty eight, we actually see that she pushes Volk out the window. And Volk is able to really quickly use his shadow step to move back onto the deck. And then ambush Spider. But unfortunately, he hesitates with actually going to kill her. And she's able to escape. While this is happening, Ilya and Zaxxus are lowering Adine from the deck. They're trying to get Zelfry to free. And Callisto comes and actually shoots a pistol at Volk. He's not able to keep firing due to the rain and, and the weather affecting the pistol. 
but he does summon Hellion into the fray. And this is the first time we actually see the Manticore. Hellion's described as having black leather wings, a red lion mane, and a mask over the face. There's a scorpion tail and, and human hands with talons. So it's this mix of a variety of different creatures and is just described as just being massive and extremely strong. Don't, don't forget about the mask. Hellion has this white, uh, like a play mask. Yes. That's literally just two holes for the eyes and a straight line for the mouth. And I have to admit, like, I am god-awful terrified of this freaking mask. <laughs> it <laughs> like, is so creepy. It is. So Callisto comes and he gets into a fight and Volk uses his tears. And the tears affect everybody, but unfortunately don't affect Hellion. Uh, Ilya tries to use teleporting fire. Zax is using in flames, but none of it really matters. Callisto is too fast. He's enhanced with his mana core, and the pirates know that it's a joke. They essentially form a ring around him like a schoolyard and start cheering him on as he as he beats up on these little kids. And Zelfri is is trying his best here. Traces turns into a mana core and goes to fight Hellion. Zelfri runs into the fight with you know his increased stamina, but Hellion being in much better shape than Traces ends up stabbing her with the scorpion stinger, which forces her to lose her magic and, and lose the transformation. And as soon as she loses the transformation, so does Zalfrey. So he goes back to being a withered, tortured, not very good fighter. Ilya actually gets a great idea and realizes she can't fight Callisto, but she can fight his ship. So she teleports two cannons and just drops them onto the ship, destroys the deck. Callisto is absolutely furious. And we actually see that the gargoyle escapes through this. So the, one of the cannons broke open the cage and, and the gargoyle escapes. And everybody in this massive confusion running away from the gargoyle, the team's able to get into the boat. And Ilya actually teleports the whole boat down to the water. What I, I like that Ilya picked up on the fact that Callisto didn't want his ship to be damaged. She had, When she was doing like the, the teleportation fire... He was like, hey, look, like, this is all fun and games, but don't you dare mess with my ship. And then, just like like he said, when she drops the cannons down, like, they, they're they're 3,400 pounds apiece. And I can only imagine how high up she dropped these from. And just, like, the, the pure carnage <laughs> this damage cannon does. All right, and so now we move into Chapter 29, The Lost Compass. Uh, once, once they're in the dinghy and moving away from the ship, Elia begins to, to triage all the injuries amongst everybody, kind of trying to figure out like who needs most attention. Elia was concerned that Callisto would take Volk after he taken so much already. And this really seemed to give her enhanced power. So I just pictured the stories of, you know, the mothers lifting cars off of their, their kids and doing things that they have no right to be able to do. And, and Elia sort of being empowered in the same way at the threat of losing Volk. Kind of that like adrenaline rush to make sure that she can save him. Texas actually manages to have gotten a pair of the glasses that all the crew members were wearing. He finds out that they can actually be seen through the fog and the darkness, uh, and, and that's what these are. And this is how everybody on Callisto's crew can can function on the ship and be able to see through all the fog. They guess that basically this is some kind of Kappa magic. 
So this is definitely a useful tool for them because they can now they can see everything that's going on with with the ghost ship. I wondered if does it also fix like if you have bad vision? Does it have glasses? Do they serve as actual (laughs) glasses as well? Oh man, I wonder that. That is good. That's a good thought. (laughs) Do you get like better than perfect vision? Yes, you get you get forty twenty. <laughs> so Zelfrey wakes up while Ilya is rowing, and Ilya is like, "I'm gonna row this boat. Like, I don't care how exhausted I am. I'm going to row this dang boat. I just need to do it." Unfortunately, Zelfrey is trying his best to like, take it, you know, to sleep because, like, that's really what he needs. Like, this dude is just beat to crap. Anytime that he kind of like starts to doze off, he'll snap back awake. So. You know, you're, you're getting kind of concerned that, like how just purely exhausted he is, but he just he has these nightmares or he has this inability to sleep. Yeah, he's running on fumes, and he, you almost get this feel that he's upset that he was rescued. Like he saw this as his end, and he was okay with it, and is now struggling with the fact of like, oh, I did actually make it out somehow. And Zaxus actually offers to row for Ilya, which is really sweet considering it's coming from Zaxxus, but she wants no part of it. <laughs> and then, I, I like that Luther was, is finally like, you know what, Volk, you lack the discipline. So I'm going to make a schedule with Zelfry to train you so that you, you, you know, get stronger and faster and better. And he does this from a place of love. You know, he, he doesn't want to lose Volk, you know, or at least another Arcanist, so... Yeah, you can understand that. And this is one of the more emotional moments that Luther has. It's expressed through a training regimen, which is not the most <laughs> loving thing to suggest to your, your partner. But it, it is coming from a place of, of caring and, and really does let on that Luther truly sees Volk as his partner in crime. So we finally get to where Addy, Adelgis, and Hexa are. And they are in a mid-sized keelboat looking for the compasses. And again, me having absolutely no like understanding or ideology of what these kind of boats are, I have to look it up so that I can get an idea. And uh, so keelboat is typically 40 to 80 feet long. For those across the pond or anybody else that uses the metric system, I apologize. I did not do the conversions this time. So they have a large fin that runs the length of the boat and it helps balance it because it, it uses a sail to, to move. And since it's long but not wide, uh, it needs that extra ballast to keep it from tipping over. And these boats are mainly used in rivers and lakes and sometimes in canals. And these are realistically, these are boats that are used to teach confidence in sailing without so much fear about uh, capsizing. So now that I've rambled on about fuel boats and what they look like, um, <laughs> on, um, the plus side is they did find the shipwreck and everything in the meantime while uh, the, the other three and Zelfry are getting there to the shipwreck. And they have found compasses. Um, and and the plural is, is being used because they found all of the compasses. And this really feels like a practical joke of Whoever was was transporting this compass just loved compasses, so they filled the whole boat with them. So 
sift through the compasses and see if you can find the one you're looking for. And Ilya right away wants to jump in and help and actually teleport underwater. And Zelfri, even in his current state, stops her, saying that her teleporting underwater, there's additional water pressure, and she could essentially hurt herself by doing it. She could get the bends. Zelfri isn't taking a breather, and it's just kind of like trying to push on. And you really get this feeling... As much as earlier it seemed like Zelfrey thought this was his end, you get the feeling that he's been through this before or something similar, probably something even worse. And this is where we transition into chapter 30. This is where we find out that both phoenixes were sent back to uh, let the Frith build know and explain everything that was happening. So again, applause whoever decided to send the phoenixes back to the frith guild so that somebody in the frith guild knows what's going on and it's not just the the seven of them trying to not die uh, i'm not sure how much you know time it would take for the phoenix to get there on their way back but hey somebody eventually will know <laughs> it's progress it is progress <laughs> right progress to not listening they they, they, they sort of kind of listen so in the meantime because Zelfry can't sleep Volk actually introduces the idea that Zelfry lays down and Adele just uses his magic to put Zelfry into a like an induced sleep and there's actually Volk recommends that the dreams be related to Ruma and Gilly and adventuring and Adele just doesn't really understand why but goes along with it, and it just kind of shows Volk's insight into Zelfry's past and how much more he really knows about Zelfry than everyone else. And as an apprentice, again, like, I would never have thought to be like, hey, give him pleasant dreams, here's what he enjoys. That'd probably be dog-tired myself, and it's like, do the thing to me too, please. <laughs> so, like, kudos to Volk for thinking about Zelfry, you know? Volk does ask for the same thing. And... Volk understanding how the whole dream weaving thing works is kind of prepared for it at least this time. And he's he's dreaming that he's swimming in the water. There the rest of the apprentices are there. But he doesn't want to get too close to everybody because people will find out how lumpy he is. And this is another instance. It's very odd in the dream, but Adele just trying to master his dream weaving and accidentally slipping in his own feelings into these these dreams and Adele just in while everybody has been sleeping has actually narrowed down the compasses to a few magical ones but the occult compass uses a piece of an Eldrin to find the closest Eldrin nearby so the phoenixes are gone and that's the only pair that they have so they're not really able to test it very well that would be too easy because <laughs> <laughs> you know why not why why would it be easy <laughs> Why take the easy road? Exactly. It's, it's not fun like that. It's not cool. So, And this is where we finally, we we also learn about the two different types of reproduction for Eldrin. I know, I think every everyone that we've talked about so far has been a progeny form, I guess with the exception of Felicity, the ethereal whelk. Every other Eldrin that we've talked about has been progeny where basically... Two Eldrin get together of the same same species, and they make little baby Eldrin. And again, we've we've known about progeny, and then we we learn about Fable Eldrin, 
I guess nightmares are also fables too. And with fable reproduction, a set of requirements has to be known or has to be met in order for them to be born. Yeah, so with, with Nightmares, Volk mentions that essentially it is from a ruler who is assassinated, and when they're assassinated, the Nightmare rises from, from the dead body. Uh, and in the case of the Ethereal Wilkes, like you mentioned, it actually comes from children drowning. Uh, so both these very unique situations, which you know, can let you let something be born even if there aren't the animal never goes extinct, I guess, is a good way to put it. Right. As long as, as, long as the you know, requirement keeps being met, then it's going to keep producing. So, Volk actually gets to ask Adele just about, like, what's going, what, what's going on with his lump under his skin? Because he's, he's getting these really weird dreams about lumps. Like, Volk's kind of putting things together now, finally. And Adele just, you know, thankfully, Adele just kind of comes clean about it to a degree. You know, well, Adele just is kind of like, hey, I'm I'm incubating a mystical creature over my ribs. I'm doing this research for my dad. So just, like, it, it's okay because he, he knows about this and, like, he's he's keeping track of it. So it, it's all good. Just don't worry about it, you know. Given that his dad pushes the boundaries of science, I get the feeling that Adele just is not incubating a litter of puppies. This is <laughs> something dangerous, something unique, something potentially very good or very bad right like it's just that like poor Adelgis so Zelfry was was actually awake when Adelgis was telling Volk about this and I'm, I'm really glad that he was because Zelfry you know finally can under, kind of understand what's going on with Adelgis Zelfry feels like all of his apprentices are just trying to inadvertently kill themselves just to spite him and this feels accurate like it's just Probably yep. pretty true. <laughs> it, it, it's like, he, I think he mentions trying to keep the lemmings from jumping off the cliff. Like, just just please don't. <laughs> help me. Just help me a little. Like, this this is one of those, when, when your kid starts to learn how to walk, this is one of those moments of like, oh, it's so cool that they know how to walk. And then the second you take your eyes off of them, they're gone. And you just, like, there's no clue. Like, they're stupid fast. For, for as short and small as they are, they are stupid fast. And your job is to make sure they don't die. Like, that that's literally what it's like raising a one, a one to two-year-old. Just making sure they don't die. And so Zelfry also basically mentions, like, hey, I really don't... I, I know Adelgis' father, but I really don't trust him. So this is probably not good about what's going on with it. And considering the range of people that Zelfry's come across, the pirates, the thieves, the adventures he's been on, if he says somebody's has a bad reputation and is not a good person, they're not just like flirting the line. They are not to be trusted. Right. Like these these people are bad. Like we really shouldn't be trusting them. Yeah, this is, this isn't a petty thief. This is <laughs> A real they, crime. They didn't like steal a piece of candy from the store. Like they, they set the store on fire. Yes, it is. So, uh, he does really thank Polk about giving the uh, Phoenix trinket to Zelfry, mainly because like this, this is like the one thing that's going to help Zelfry the most to heal. And again, like he, he was butchered on Callista's ship. Like 
the the amount of damage that was done to him basically wasn't able to heal. And and thanks to this trinket, I imagine Zelfri was able to heal a lot faster, not only having Traxxas close to him, but with the help of this trinket. And that ends chapter 30. Scott, did you want to jump in on the bestiary? Yeah, the the new Eldrin that we see is the gargoyle. And we see the plague-ridden one, but the normal one, it's the mythology for it. It actually comes from statues that were placed on buildings to ward away spirits. We don't know the trial of worth or the reproduction. Augmentation, it's able to harden objects. It can manipulate stone, and they can evoke this dust that transforms into rocks if enough of it gathers. And they give the same abilities to their arcanists, so an innate ability of having this hardened and, and tougher skin. And that concludes this week's episode of uh, the podcast, chapters 26 and 30. We are getting fairly close to the end, uh, and we'll be all wrapped up with Dreadpire Arcadis. As always, we would like to thank our editor, Dan Mackison, for editing the videos for us. We're also on Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Uh, we have a Facebook group, the Crypto Podcast. We're also on YouTube, so if you'd like to see Scott and I talking and discussing this and uh, the images that uh, Dan throws in for us to help visualize, like a keel boat, um, <laughs> you'll be able to see that on the YouTube channel. Again, uh, we want to thank the Frith Chronicles fandom as they are the ones that we get a lot of our information from, and we really do appreciate everything that they do. And you can get in touch with us at, by emailing us at frithkilledpod at gmail.com. Or you can send us a message on Facebook or comment on the Facebook page and get all of us there. All right. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.